So then you, you, know, you finish your, you have your a few more years at the New York Mets. Um, and then I just want to jump to the time when you came back with the Yankees and you were out of baseball for a year. And then what was the, did George Steinbrenner call you up? How, how did you get involved, you know, come back in to start pitching for the Yankees? Okay. So this is the first time I've, I've told it, told the whole story, how this really happened. I actually had a trout with the Marlins at the end of the season because Sheffield, my nephew was playing there and got me a trout with and Dave Dombrowski was the general manager. I went there, threw on the side, threw well. We actually had a verbal agreement for two years, $5 million. Um, I told him I was going to Puerto Rico just to do a little bit because I had missed the, you know, the 95 season. He said, that's fine. When I got home, a good friend of mine, Ray Negron, I don't know if you guys know that name, he works in the Yankees. He been with the Yankees for a while. Anybody who's good friends with Steinbrenner, he told me he was trying to get me with the Yankees. So he said, um, the next day he goes, I got good news and bad news. <laughs> I said, okay, give me bad news. He said, the bad news is um, they, they want you to go Puerto Rico and throw first before the Marlins will guarantee the contract. I said, okay, what's the good news? The good news is we take the same deal with the Yankees and you can sign a contract right now before you go to Puerto Rico. I said, we got to take the deal with the, with the Yankees. Yeah, that's <laughs> Two days later, my nephew Gary called me. He goes, man, what happened? How you signed the Yankees? I thought you had a deal with us. I said, yeah, but you guys changed. You wanted me to go to Puerto Rico if I signed a deal. He goes, no, we never said that. And find out that Ray, he made the whole story up for me to sign with the Yankees. Which, <laughs> and in turn, it worked out for the best, you know, because I love New York. I want to stay in New York, even though, the, you know, the Wilpons want to cut ties. I get it. But the way it happened wasn't right. It made me look bad. But the way it all turned out, it was everything, you know, winning the two World Series with the Yankees. There's no hitter in New York. Cause I always wanted to make it right with the fans the way, you know, it ended in 94. So um, I was very happy for the opportunity to play. Um, first time I met with Mr. Steinbrenner after I signed the deal, I mean, my dad was there. His only concern was, what have you been doing with your years off? We didn't talk baseball at all. He was more concerned about me, the person, and that made me feel even that much better and, and welcoming me with the, to the Yankees. And um turned out great. And, you know, and just to fast forward to 2000, uh, when we beat the Yanks in the World Series, and I ended up reti- I mean, beating the Mets in the World Series, and I retired. Nothing against the Mets. I'm always going to be a Met. But the way it went down, because um, in 95, when they want to cut ties, I wanted to stay with the Mets. I said, I was time for whatever. They said, no, unfortunately, you know, go our separate ways. So I pitched with the Yankees, 96, 97. After 97, I called the Mets again. Talk with Steve Phillips. I'd like to come back. I said, we don't have any room. I wish you all the best. I went to Cleveland, 98, 99. After 99, I called the Mets again. I'd like to come back. Doc, we wish you the best, but, you know, we've got nothing here. I signed with Houston, pitched one game, get traded to Tampa. I had eight starts. I get released. I called the Mets again. I said, I'll go to AAA. I'll do whatever I got to do. I just want to finish my career with the Mets. I don't care about the money. So, unfortunately, wish you all the best. Got nothing there. Mr. Steinbrenner called me himself. He said, well, do you still want to play? I said, yes. I was living in Tampa at the time. He said, okay, show up at the complex, work with Billy Connors, if it don't work out, you come work for me. Went over there, worked out like three weeks, pitched a couple of rookie league games, not nothing special. They called me in office the next morning. I thought I was going to get released. They said, we need a pitch in New York. Uh, it's, it was a day-night double hitter. They came, the day game was at Shea, night games at Yankee Stadium. They said, we need you to pitch the day game against the Mets. Oh, wow. I couldn't say I wasn't ready, but <laughs> that's all I wanted. Just one more time to go to Shea Stadium. I actually pitched well, pitched five innings, got the win. We beat the Mets. And we beat the Mets in the World Series. And I said, what a way to retire. Um, what a way to go out. And at that time, I called the Mets again. I said, can I sign for one day to retire the Mets? They told me no. So I retired the Yankee, which is not a bad thing either. 
but I hear my number's going to get retired here shortly, so that'll be a way to finish it. Oh, that's what a story. I mean, I was just going to jump into, if, before we move on, to the... Uh, I hope I wasn't talking too fast. No, I think that's story. that's great. I mean, I, that is just, I just was going to ask about the, the no-hitter. I mean, I remember watching it. I remember someone calling me on the phone when you beat Seattle, and it's like early in the game, they're like, Dwight looks great in this game. And I remember watching it, and you won 2-0, and that must have been great to have your you know one no-hitter, you know, in oh, Yankee Stadium like that for that win? Oh, you have no idea. And plus, like, you know, cause the, the prior to that, I actually got benched. I started out 0-3 that year. Torrey took me out of the rotation, and they were trying to decide whether to release me or send me down. Unfortunately, my good friend David Cohen got the aneurysm in his arm, and, and Steinbrenner said, put Gooden back in the rotation. Torrey said, I don't think he's he's ready. Steinbrenner said, put Gooden back in the rotation. My fourth start back in the rotation was the no-hitter. And the day that I pitched no hitter, I was supposed to go home to build my dad, who was having open heart surgery the next day. And that morning, I thought he would probably want me to pitch, even though I had my flight. So I called Tori. said, I'm coming in. I'm going to pitch. I'm not going home. He said, go home. Take as much time you need. Come back when you're ready. I said, no, I'll be there tonight to pitch. And then I had to call my mom, who didn't take it. I said, no, you have to be here. Your dad is expecting you. He needs the support. All your family's going to be here. You have to come. So I actually ended up hanging up on my mom feeling that bad. So obviously you cheer up a little bit um, throughout the day. I get to the ballpark. And the first three of that game, I would stand in the walkway between the clubhouse and the dugout, wondering if my dad's going to be okay, that make the right decision. Am I going to see him again, not see him again? Not until the sixth inning when I realized I had a no-hitter. You look at the scoreboard to see who's coming up, and you see no runs, no hits, no errors. You're like, oh, man, we got a no-hitter going. Even though it's Seattle, who in my mind had the best hitting team in baseball, in 1996, you know, you're thinking I got a shot, but, you know, let's just try to get the win. Um, the ninth inning of the game, I walked the first two guys, and Mel Sarmar, and the score's only 2 nothing. Mel Sarmar comes out to the mound, and he goes, Doc, how you doing? I said, doesn't matter, I'm not coming out. It's your game. And I got the last out, Paul Sorrento pops up to Jared Heater and saying the ball was in the air forever. They made the last out, you know, I'm cheering, I'm jumping up and down. My teammates are carrying me off the field. And all you're thinking about is where I was the prior year, early in the season, you know, in the bullpen, about to get released. Is my dad going to be okay? What's going to happen? Obviously, you don't sleep that night. And I took a ball from the game home to the hospital the next day. And when I got there, he had the surgery. The doctor said, watch the game. He never made it home from the hospital, but the last game he saw me pitch was a no-hitter. And that made it that much more special. Oh, my. What a story. <laughs> That's uh... – and what did after that was done? What what um, what did Stein? What did George, What did your teammates like? What did Jeter say? What did Steinbrenner say? What oh, was? Oh man, it was like unbelievable because Steinbrenner. Let me let me move back. So after I saw zero and three, I walk out of Yankee Stadium with my wife at the time, and I said, "George likes to meet my wife." And he goes, "When are you gonna win me an elfin game?" You know. So <laughs> after that no hitter, he goes, "Man, no matter what happens the rest of the year, you're my hero." And the hit that come from George Steinbrenner. That meant the road to me and gave me the road of confidence. Even though you haven't playing a while, I've been playing you know, 11, 10 years at a time. But when you have an owner like that tell you that I'm a hero to him or what I just accomplished, that meant the road to me. It meant a lot. And I got a chance to work for George when I retired for six years and get to know him, the man, with just a tremendous feeling as well. Wow, that's amazing. Do you think with the Mets, 
uh, Steve Cohn now who owns it is so is a true Mets fan, not like the Wilpons who seem like they wanted to own the Brooklyn Dodgers. Do you think you're going to see a lot of the Mets come back? Is it going to be, are we going to get more of a sense about the Mets history and those things? I mean, they just, you know, they t- it took them forever to put the statue up for Tom Seaver. Uh, have you got any, has Cohn reached out to you? Has someone from the Mets reached out to you about more, about becoming more involved with the Mets? Oh, 100%. They are definitely involved with the alumni now. And while I was with the Yankees, you know, I used to go to spring training and see DiMaggio, Guidry, Yogi, Goose. I mean, all these guys, Reggie Jackson, the Mets, you know, they have Franco come in for a week, Piazza come in for a week, and that's pretty much it. Um, no knocking the guy, but that was it. But now with the new ownership, he's into having the fans, you know, take part, what they want on Twitter, getting in contact with alumni, having different stuff at the ballpark. And I think that's great, for, obviously, for the alumni, but it's great for the fans, great for the organization, great for the, the team that they have now. Just, you know, the knowledge you can get, the picking the knowledge – from these guys because we had the guys on our team that had a lot of baseball knowledge. So I think it's a win-win for everybody and I'm glad with the new ownership and the direction that the organization is headed now. I heard, was it the story is in, when they met the Shea, in 2008 when they went to Shea Stadium to City Field, you went and signed the wall and they're like, you weren't supposed to sign the wall so they had to take the wall oh out. Oh that was unbelievable. So I go there because uh, it was uh, 2000, 2008, it was City Field. So it was City Field, the first year at City Field, I think 2009. So my nephew, Gary Sheffield was playing. So I was going to see him play. And a guy asked me to sign the wall at the restaurant there. He was the general manager. Whatever. He had the Sharpie. He handed me the Sharpie. I signed the wall. They wanted me to put some stats. So I put like Rick of the Year, Cy Young, whatever. The next day, Jay Horace called me. He goes, Doc, what are you doing? You can't be signing the stadium. He made it seem like I was writing graffiti over the stadium. <laughs> you know? I'm like, the guy asked me to sign. Goes, it wasn't a good idea to do that. And so then, I guess they tried to get the guy. They tried to remove the guy from the park. They took that part of the wall out of the stadium, and somehow the media got hold to it, and the media buried the Mets on it about that. Later that year, no, the next year, they put myself, Strawberry, Cashman, and David Johnson all into the Hall of Fame all at once. When normally you have your day, like when they put, say, Mookie, Franco, Keith, and all those guys in, it was their day. They threw all the 86 guys in at one time like this, and let's get rid of these guys and get them out of here. <laughs> you know, that's the way I felt. But the new ownership definitely brought a good, warm feeling back. It makes you feel like you was a part of something special. What, what, who was the toughest hitter you ever faced? For me, it was Chili Davis. You thought like uh, Tony Gwynn or uh, Bonds, but Chili was the one guy I could not get out. I mean, back then, you could, you know, you could hit guys. You could throw high and tight touch. He made me get the ball down in the strike zone. He would foul off the tough pitches. I made a mistake. He made me pay. But even when he went to the Yankees, I was in Cleveland. I could not get this guy out. He was by far my toughest hitter. We had Dave Parker on our show. We've had Dave Parker, Rod. You, you were probably after Rod Carew. We had Rod Carew, Dave Parker uh, on our show. I don't. Did you, ever, did you ever face Dave Parker? I faced Parker, and Parker used to always tell me, you know, if I ever get you, he never got a home run. He got some hits. But remember how Parker he hit the home run, and especially with Cincinnati, he would start his trot going towards Cincinnati dugout. Pointing his fingers out, he goes back in. He said, if I ever get you, Doc, it's going to be the longest trot you've ever seen in life. <laughs> That's what he used to tell me, but he never got me. And Parker was a good friend of mine. I know he's struggling a little bit. Um, but I love Parker. and He's another guy I think should be in the Hall of Fame. I, I, it's amazing. I, I, we brought this up. He has 2,800 hits. Rolling has 2,000. He has more home runs. And he's uh, viewed as one of the best defensive outfielders of all time. So it's shocking that you know, when Roland gets in and, Bar- and Parker doesn't. But uh, Yeah, that's unbelievable. Unbelievable. He uh, should be in by far. Because he's one of the most intimidating hitters to play in our area as, as well. 
I don't understand. Hopefully, get it right. So they talk about, you know, about current baseball has now, people say that one of the reasons why your career at the end, you were struggling is that you've pitched too much. And now the pitchers, you know, you don't ever pitch over 100 pitches. If you see a pitcher hit a pitch 110, it's like, what's going on? It's crazy. You can't, you know, know all those things. What do you think about pitch counts? What do you think about pulling pitchers after four or five innings? Those things. That's another thing, and you guys are all working my favor. I need you guys to be on a committee <laughs> and to play my case for me. You guys are right on. But you're right. You know, my time is say, oh, you know, you pitch. During my time, I, I wouldn't have done it no other way. That's just the way it was brought up. You know, you try to go deep into games. You want to finish the games. But now I don't fault the pitchers. It's more the, the teams. Like if baseball is like a copycat league. Like if one team does something and they have success, then all the teams does it. So I don't necessarily blame the pitchers individually. I blame the way that the baseball – system is going now with analytics and all that. But I think I'd rather have a guy, if he's pitching, say, six, seven innings and, and totally dominating, I'd rather have that guy go back out for the eighth, ninth inning, even if he's at 100 pitches. Um, as long as he's not coming back from an injury or having any arm problems, I'll let him go. Then take a chance on a middle reliever coming in. I haven't seen him pitch that day. But they're big on, <clears throat> as you mentioned, a guy throwing 100 pitches on facing lineup the third time around. To me, it's a big difference throwing 100 pitches in three innings as opposed to throwing 100 pitches in seven, eight innings. So hopefully they get back to letting these pitches go deep in the games because they're killing the bullpens, I think. you know. And plus, you're having more injuries now than you had before because everything's about velocity. Everything's about spin rate. They're not teaching these guys mechanics anymore. You know, if you throw, if you throw 98, 99, they're going to put you in there. Like, if you take a guy like Greg Maddox or Tom Glavin, they wouldn't even look at these guys today because their velocity wasn't hitting 97, 98. There was more 90, 91. What did you used to throw the ball at? What was your speeds what did you, back then? In my prime, I was anywhere between 96 and 98, you know. Um, and plus, from what I hear, I don't, I don't have any way to back this up, but from what I hear, they, they, they get the speed when it, in a guy's hand, when at least a hand. You know, my era, they was getting the speed once it crossed the plate. So that's the difference now where everybody's throwing, you know, 97, 98. <laughs> and what about what about like now they're going to have pitch clocks? You know they have pitch clocks, but they sort of in next year it's going to be a pitch clock. They they eliminated the shift, all these different things that are coming in in terms of the rules. Uh, what do you think about what do you think about a pitch clock? With that, I mean you pitch pretty quickly, so I don't know if that would have affected you as much. But yeah, I just think it's too much now. Me, me personally, I'm a fan of the game, but I'm also an old school fan. I think they're messing up a beautiful game. Um, I like the the replay. Like in outfield with a foul home runs or the guy make a catch, especially in the playoffs or road series. I like that. But all the other stuff where you're stopping for the replay, but the guy's still in second base or the tag up, or now the pitch clock and he's got a certain amount of time, you're going to do two pickoffs. I think they're messing up a beautiful game. It's coming into a video game now. They're taking the final way now. Even with all the analytics, you know, the, the, the shifts and all this stuff, it's too much. They're not letting these guys learn how to play the game because you're telling them everything. I mean, now. Even when we look at the outfielders, they got all these armbands on like a quarterback. <laughs> Looking at way shot player guy. That guy is learned by watching the game. Right. That's a good That's point. That's a good point. That's a good point. You know, you, you mentioned about going going through a lineup the third time in a lineup. You know, people are saying now, oh, it's impossible. You know, you don't want to have a pitcher pitch the third time through a lineup. That's when they're going to get all their hits. But, of course, you know, you pitched uh, in your in your life. You pitched, uh, I'm trying to get how many total complete games, 68 complete games, 24 shutouts. So you've seen the lineup many times. So what is, what is it like the third and fourth time through a lineup? I think they're saying, like, the, the hitters have seen you now. They, they they got you now or whatever. But that's fine. If, if your stuff is on, it doesn't matter if the hitters have seen you. 
I mean, it's still it's about making your pitches, limiting mistakes around the middle of the plate, reading bat speed. That's about pitching. Um, but they, they feel like the hitters see you now, the stuff is not as sharp. But I, I totally disagree with that. I mean, every pitcher's individual is differently. Some pitchers you get stronger as the game goes. Most aces, most of the power guys especially, if you don't get them in the early part of the game, you're not going to get those guys. So I totally disagree with all the analytics stuff to that. I think some analytics stuff is good, but some of it's bad. I'd rather go with a guy to he shows me he's getting tired or the hitter's catching up. Then you make the change. But just to make it because we don't want him to face the lineup the third time around because analytics says this, analytics says that, that's totally bull. I mean, the same way when they say you can't throw this guy fastballs, you can't throw this guy breaking balls, he's a good fastball hitter. But it doesn't tell you whose fastball he's a great hitter against or whose curveball he's a right, great hitter right, against. Right, right. Everybody's stuff is different. So, I mean, you got to look deeper into this stuff than what they do. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the analytics, I, I, it's just like they're just, you know, someone has to enter, you know, a number in terms of what it was and who's it against. And, and you see that in basketball, too, um, you know, and it just it depends on situations and, and the person entering has to make determinations. So what? 100 percent. And you don't know that guy, if he had his stuff that day, if he didn't have his stuff. I mean, you don't know that. I mean, some guys, like I just mentioned, Tilly Davis, they can tell me, don't, you can't tell the guy you can't tell that. That's just one guy I have trouble with anyway. So I got to keep the guys off base. Right, right. And, and with him, I got to walk Chile four times. I walk him four times. That's where you approach that. But all this other stuff, you can't throw this guy this, you can't throw this guy that. Because more than any position, the pitcher, you're taught to be aggressive and attack. Once you start pitching defensively, you're already in trouble. And I use that as an example. I go back to the, the uh, 2015 Mets. They, they had Matt Harvey, they had DeGrom, they had Syndergaard, all these guys doing um, Stephen Matz. All these guys doing 98, 99. They play Kansas City in the World Series. They say Kansas City, the report was Kansas City is a great hitting fastball team. Okay, that's fine. But then these guys sort of curveball, ball one, change up, ball two. Now you have to come with a fastball, and everybody in the world knows what you're coming with. It makes it a lot easier to hit. Instead of going with your best pitch, locate it, and, and go with your best stuff. If you're throwing 97, 98, and these guys are fastball hitters, but you're, you know, you're throwing quality pitches, so what they hit, they're not going to do much damage. But when you fall behind and they know it's coming, and it could cheat you, it's a big difference. So I think that kind of calls the method in 2015, in my opinion. So we're talking about um, pitching in New York, and you're probably the expert pitching on the Yankees and the Mets and being a, the dominant pitcher at a time. So many pitchers, it seems, comes to the city and comes to New York and in the bigger markets, and it's one thing to pitch. You know, I pushed A.J. Burnett, you know, who's a pirate pitcher and stuff like that. You come to New York, and, it's, and, and they can't withstand the pressure. They can't. They just, they're, they're not the same pitcher. Then they go back to a smaller market, a Kansas City or a Pittsburgh, and they're successful. But what is, was it like that it is pitching in New York that makes it so difficult for so many of these pitchers who come there and Sign the big money contracts. I think sometimes it's the expectations that they put on themselves, the expectations that the fans have, the media, and these guys, they have a bad game. You know, they get booed. But I always try to tell pitchers that come in, um, like Kenny Rogers. I played with Kenny Rogers with the Yankees. I grew up with Kenny Rogers in Tampa. But a lot of times he's already defeated because he's worrying about what the media, he's worrying about the fans, and they're going to boo me. And I think if these guys can understand that, if you get booed, they'll, they'll boo in your performance, not necessarily you. They'll boo in your performance. That's like if you go to a Broadway play, and the play's not any good, or whoever's singing, forget the notes, you're going to boo them. But you're booing the performance, because you don't really know the, 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 um, the person or the player. And if a guy's going to you know, get over that, I think they'll be fine. I understand that playing in New York, in my opinion, is one of the best places to play, because the fans and the media have a little bit more knowledge, and they're more into the game than 
say, no knock on Cleveland or anything like that, but when I played in Cleveland, <laughs> you had a sellout crowd, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't as noisy. The fans weren't really on their feet. It was more of a place where you just go meet after, after work or whatever. That's what it felt like. But and no knock expectations playing in New York. But I think a lot of times players are already mentally defeated when they come there. They don't have success right away, or if they haven't played in a big market. The expectation they put on themselves and all that just overwhelms them. Um, and then we're talking to Doc Gooden, legendary New York Madden Yankee pitcher. What the the current Mets? You must be excited. The fact that they're it seems like they're spending money. You know they were so cheap for so many years, and now it's like whoever is out there, we're going to go get. And it must be exciting. And you're probably really looking forward to this year. Are you going to be able? Are you are you going to be at spring training working with the team? Uh, I won't be working with the team, but I'm definitely. Excited about it. Uh, I go out for spring training every year with a couple of friends. We just kind of meet the new guys and hang out, um, watch a couple of games. Go to, I go to a lot of games. I live in New York. Um, I go to a lot of Yankee games as well. Uh, but I'm always going to be a Met. And it's great to see that you have the ownership that's willing to put a great product on the field for the fans who's paying all this money you know, for tickets, for souvenirs, hot dog and burger, whatever, parking. But you make it worth it now. You come out, you have a chance. You have a great team on the field every day. It makes it exciting to watch. Because I always said in New York, you can't rebuild in New York. you got to put a successful team out there on the field. And the fans would come out and they would support um, 100%. And so it's good to see that. I'm glad the ownership now get that. No knock against the Wilpons, but you have an owner now that understands that and is in a position to put a winning team on the field every time. Now it's up to the players to go out and perform. So to follow you on your in, in your social media, it's at DocGooden16. Is that correct? Is that the right uh, moniker? Yes, sir. At, yes, sir. At DocGooden, D-O-C, Gooden16. And uh, any shows or anything you're, you're doing that you want to promote or tell people to, to go to down here in Florida or even nationally? Uh, Florida, I don't have anything going right now, but uh, we're getting ready to make a big splash for stuff coming out. Um, you look forward to seeing the Doc Gooden story. My movie's getting ready to go in the process. We're going to start filming here shortly, so I'm excited about that. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Uh, Tell us. Wait, you're, you're, so there's a movie coming out. Is it going to be on Netflix? What's it going to be on? Yes, hopefully, it's going to be at the, at the theaters or Netflix. One or two, we're not sure yet. But it's going to be from my my childhood all the way to like the no hitter. But you guys can see how I grew up and you know everything that's going on. I got that going now. And um, in Florida, you know, I do a lot of stuff in Florida. Like I said, I mentioned Belmont Heights Little League in Tampa. Man, Gary will be doing some stuff down there coming up this summer. So um, stay looking out for that as well. That's fantastic. Well, when spring training starts, when you come over to this side of uh, Florida, we'd love, I'd love to go, you know, stop in the studio. We'd love to go to the game with you. You know, there, there's three stages. You go up to Port St. Lucie. You can play the ballpark of the Palm Beaches and Roger Dean Stadium. You have everybody playing. Oh, every- for sure. Let's, let's definitely stay in touch and let's do that. And you guys keep up the good work. And thank you guys for having me. Oh, we'll definitely do that. I appreciate it. I hope your ankle feels better and gets a quick recovery from that. But oh, I know. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. And uh, my listeners, I'm sure, appreciate hearing your stories and reliving some of the best years of baseball I've ever seen in terms of your pitching. Every night that you pitched, it was must-see TV, must-be at the stadium. So thanks a lot for coming on Iron Sports. I appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you guys for having me, and I look forward to talking to you guys again soon.